Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Christian Skeptic. So last time we left off talking about the Jewish feasts, and we focused primarily on the first three, which is Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend you go back one episode and listen to the previous episode before starting this one. But in this one, let's pick up where we last left off. So if you remember, we left off talking about how Christians can celebrate Passover. And it might even be a fun and and a wise idea to celebrate Passover or any of the Jewish feasts. And I kind of left you guys with this idea of if you remember on the next 14th of Nisan and wish to celebrate Passover, that you should go for it and have fun with it and enjoy yourself. And that there might even be some wisdom in celebrating this feast and remembering why God instituted it in the first place. And that goes for all the feasts. If you celebrate the feasts, Remember what they're for. Remember the fulfillment in them. If on the next 14th of Nisan, you forget and you don't, and you just celebrate Good Friday and Easter and go to church and have a a dinner with your family, which, why do we eat ham for Easter? Jesus ate fish, right? We should be having some like sushi or some salmon or something on Easter because, right, he was on the seashore and Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to him and Jesus is over there cooking some fish. So maybe not sushi because he did cook the fish. Anyway, I digress. It doesn't actually matter. Ham's just not kosher. It logically just doesn't make sense. But we can eat ham because New Covenant. Anyway, 50 days after the Sabbath that followed Passover, which in the year Jesus died was literally the next day after Passover, 50 days is Pentecost. 50 days later, right? Or the Feast of Weeks, the feast that commemorated the harvest. Well, if you know your Bible, you remember that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, on the day the Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, gave the apostles tons of fire so that they could speak to every man and woman in their own language, and 3,000 souls were added to the first ever church on that day. In other words, Jesus, when he was alive on the earth, said, The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers in, speaking of those that he wanted to save, those that he wanted to reach out so that they might receive the grace and the justification of Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, being slain for the sins of the world, the unleavening of all of us of our sin, so that they might become like Jesus, the first fruit of the resurrection, right? So that we might become like that. We're called a harvest. And so the Feast of Weeks, the harvest feast, the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and fell. And 3,000 souls were harvested to the church that day. And so it's as if the feast days were God calling some 2,000 plus years before they happened He eight-ball corner-pocketed the events that would take place surrounding the death, cleansing, resurrection of Christ, and the coming of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to harvest souls for the church. And then, as I mentioned, a summer ensues after these feasts, after these four feasts before the next three feasts. And scholars and theologians have likened the three summer months between feasts, three-ish, 
depending on the year and the lunar cycle and everything. But scholars have likened that season to the current age that we're in, the season between the Holy Spirit falling and the trumpet sounding in Revelation to usher in the end of the age, the end of the world. And that will happen. And like the Feast of Trumpets, we don't actually know what day it's going to happen. Now, nowadays, we know what day the Feast of Trumpets is going to happen because we know the lunar cycles and we have satellites and everything that can tell us exactly you know, what the moon's doing, what the weather's doing, everything like that. But back then, they didn't know when the trumpet would sound to usher in the fall season, to usher in the the last three feasts of the year. And so in a similar way, Christ's return in Revelation will be ushered in with a trumpet and no one knows the day or the hour. We can know when the season's drawing closer and (laughs) this might be a topic for a totally different episode, but this is going to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Of course, if you know your eschatology, following the trumpet sound, following the events of Revelation is a great day of atonement. And I say great because the following feast after the Feast of Trumpets, right, was the Feast of Atonement, where there is a repenting of sin. There's a cleansing of sin. Well, there will one day be a great cleansing of sin. There will one day be a great day of atonement, and it won't be a happy event. It will be an event of mourning and sorrow and probably gnashing of teeth, as the Bible would say, right? But then, but then comes the best event history will ever know, right? (laughs) Which, similarly enough, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, was the best feast for the Jews. This was the, the culmination of the year, right? Like I said, this was their Christmas. This was the most joyous uh, feast where they would dwell in tabernacles to remember the time that God tabernacled among them in full power, on display. And he guided them and he was with them. And similarly, after the great day of atonement at the end of the age, we will one day dwell, tabernacle, right, with God. He will dwell with us on the earth, right? And in Revelation, there is another feast coming. This time it's a seven-year feast at the end of the age where Christ, the bridegroom, right, the the groom, as it were, is to marry the church, the bride, that the church is to fulfill her role as the body of Christ. And then it's party time. <laughs> it's a seven year feast where we dwell with Christ and he dwells with us, where sin is no more, where death is no longer a thing, where tears will not flow. And because this is a feast with every tribe, tongue, and nation, I am confident and hopeful that tacos are on the menu for that feast. And the one who is our feasts, the one who is our Sabbath, will be tangible and touchable before our very faces. And so is there merit (laughs) in celebrating the feasts? I, I absolutely think so. Is it commanded? Absolutely not. Are you in sin if you don't? Absolutely not. I think you're only in sin if you don't make communion with the one who fulfills the feasts, right? If, if you don't have communion with the one who is Lord of the Sabbath, right? And that is Jesus Christ. That is the person of Jesus Christ. Speaking of communion, right? That was a Passover celebration. And Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. So there's no appointed time or day for it, unless you want to be super legalistic. 
which I don't recommend because Jesus had a lot to say about those that were legalistic. He called them whitewashed tombs at one point. He called them a brood of vipers at one point. So don't be legalistic, right? But don't be ultra emotionally spiritual either. These these things were given to us for teaching, right? For instruction, for reproof, for proper doctrinal edification so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Look, it's important that we understand and appreciate the Jewish feasts. I think, and I haven't done this, so this is just speculation, but I think it could be fun if we as believers maybe take a year to celebrate the feasts, right? To, to remember those things, to read those passages, to correlate the Old Testament passages in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, with the fulfillment of the feasts in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, in the book of Acts, in the book of Revelation, to read what Paul and Peter had to say about these feasts in their gospel letters, to open the book of Nehemiah, right? Uh, and, and that great revival in Nehemiah chapter 9, where Ezra the scribe reads the law and the people repent, and oh my gosh, look at that. It just so happens to be the Feast of Trumpets and Atonement and of Tabernacles, and they, they resurrect this thing that they had been so disobedient in for hundreds and hundreds of years, and probably the greatest revival outside of the book of Jonah happens in that, right? And it's surrounding these feast days. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of merit. That would be good for not only your soul, but for your mind to connect these things, right? Because let's not forget what podcast we are on. This is The Christian Skeptic. This is all about logic, right? This is all about thinking. This is all about stuff has to make sense and not just feel good and be, oh, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And if you just think happy thoughts and just you just pray all the time, you can live however you want and live in all kinds of sin and it'll all be okay right now. That's That's a bunch of... That's a bunch of malarkey, if I could be so bold as to say. So, so, so there's some merit there, right? There's merit in understanding, respecting, and honoring those things that God has put into place. But obviously the biggest merit, the best advice surrounding the feast days and the Sabbath you could ever think of is to rest in the one who is our Sabbath rest, right? Is to honor the feast days for the one who said, eat me and drink my blood, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, of course, he didn't mean that literally, right? But it's a call. It's a call. It's a cry to intimacy, intimacy with the resurrected and living Jesus. And I think that's what you'll find if you were to celebrate the feast days. You know, a little while back, I did a series of episodes asking, does God change? And of course, we came to the conclusion that God doesn't, but there's a lot of talk behind that. So if you haven't listened to those, I recommend going back and listening. But hey, it's my podcast. I'm a little biased. You all know that. But I think what you'll find if you celebrate the feast days, and whether you celebrate them or not, if you study the feast days, what you'll find is that God never changed and never has changed, never will change. And I think that's important because if the episode before this one and this episode are the first times that you're hearing about or learning about the Jewish feast days that were instigated in the Exodus story, perhaps to use the metaphor of feasting and communion, you're malnourished if you're a believer. 
If you're not a believer, I really do commend you on listening uh, this far into the episode. You know, it's funny. So a little bit about me, a little side note. Uh, I'm back in grad school, as you know, if you've been listening to these episodes for any amount of time. And being back in college has meant a lot of nights of studying and writing papers on top of the studying I already do for fun. And so it's left me with uh, a fried brain on some nights and the need to unwind and do something mind-numbing for a little while. And so I recently started watching the TV show Community, which is on Netflix, and I've never seen it before. And so I'm just getting into it, and please don't send me spoilers. Uh, I'm just kidding. You can send me whatever you want. I don't actually care about it that much. But I got to the end of the first season, and at the end of the first season, there's this Christmas episode where they're at this community college, and they're about to celebrate Christmas, and kind of the premise of the episode is everyone has a different background and comes from a different place. And so everyone has a different holiday or interpretation of the holidays in the general December time frame. And so as the plot goes in the show, the Christian woman has to learn to accept everyone else's cultures and religion. And my first thought was, okay, this is a little biased. But my second thought was, you know, we all should try to understand different cultures and religions and what goes on in the culture. And whether we agree with it or not, just knowledge of it is a good thing. So that being said, if you're not a Christian or a devout Jew and you've listened to the past episode and this episode thus far, I commend you on that. And I think that that is really a noble thing to do. Now, of course, if you're an absurdist or a nihilist, I may have just insulted you because there's no merit to nobility at all because nothing has meaning and life is pointless, right? <laughs> just kidding. But anyway, back to the feasts. If you're a follower of Jesus and this is the first time you're learning about the feasts, I think you're malnourished and I think you need to eat and drink Jesus a little bit more and that includes the whole counsel of God's word. Jesus knew that. Jesus celebrated the feasts himself even. Again, not that you have to. But because the feasts were communion with an unchanging God, as the covenant had been established at that point. Now, of course, Jesus established a new covenant, and we have an easier communion as far as access and rituals, because there are no rituals God requires anymore, right? The Bible says God doesn't delight in sacrifice. He delights in obedience. And you can't obey him if you've never read his word, and you can't obey him if the only time you open the Bible is so you can find some comfort for yourself. And I get it. Life is busy, life is full of anxieties, life is full of hustle and bustle and grind, but life's always been that way, across time, throughout all cultures. And it could be that God knew that, and that's why God instigated seven different feast times in the calendar year. To pause, to rest, to repent, to reflect, to commune with God. Because just as much as we're programmed to hustle and bustle and grind, and take care of all the worries and stresses of life, we are also programmed to rest and to feast and to commune with God. And as we're talking about feast days, I think it kind of just naturally puts in our minds, or at least it does in my mind, a parallel between feast days and holidays, cultural holidays that we all celebrate. And there's actually an example of this in the Bible too. Look it up. It's in John chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 22. Jesus celebrates Hanukkah. That's what it says. Now, Hanukkah, if you know your history, came out of the Maccabean Revolt, which was an event that happened uh, around two or 300 BC. I don't know exactly, so feel free to correct me on that. But Hanukkah happened when the devout Jews led by the Maccabees revolted against the powers that were oppressing them. And of course, the story goes that the candle stayed lit for eight days and that God delivered them out of their oppression, right? So that became the Feast of Dedication, as it's called in John 10.22, or Hanukkah, as we currently know it. 
And Jesus is there celebrating it because the Feast of Dedication, just like the Feast of Tabernacles and just like the Passover, was a feast where you would celebrate by traveling to Jerusalem. And in John 10, verse 22, it starts off saying, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, where this feast obviously would have been being celebrated, especially in the temple, since it's commemorating something that happened in the temple. And so, number one, that tells us, obviously, it's okay to celebrate cultural feasts, right? There's nothing pagan about Christmas. Thanksgiving is a good feast for Christians to celebrate. Memorial Day, sure. Black Friday, you know, that's probably probably the most pagan. Yeah, maybe, maybe don't celebrate that one. But all kidding aside, right, he was celebrating this feast and the Jews surrounded him and asked him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus's answer actually fits the discussion of what we're talking about here, weirdly enough. But he says, I told you, and you do not believe, that the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, Jesus says. And what's interesting to me about this response is the way he speaks of his disciples, that they're his sheep. They know him and hear his voice. And we know this is a common theme in scripture, that if you know God, you'll hear his voice. And the way to hear his voice and to know him is to obey and listen to his word. And so to dive a little deeper on this feast conversation, we have feasts in our modern culture, whether they're Christmas, whether they're New Year's, whether they're Easter or Fourth of July or some other Independence Day or some other day of memorial or rest or celebration. And now our culture is adding kind of some weird ones that I would say are contrary to biblical values, but that's a discussion for an entirely another day. But the point is, for the follower of Christ, even Hanukkah points to Christ. For the follower of Christ, even Thanksgiving points to Christ. For the follower of Christ, even the 4th of July can point to Christ. And we're, we're about out of time, but in the purpose of treating things skeptically, I think I want to end with a question on this episode. If six of the seven feasts are either about resting, remembering, or celebrating, and one of them is about repentance, how much good do you think it would do? For the modern Christian and maybe the modern church, but I want, I want to take this personal because skepticism is all about personal pondering, not corporational pondering, right? But how much do you think that the modern Christian would be less anxious, depressed, or likely to try to find fulfillment in something else, be it career or relationships or sin or substance abuse? How much less do you think the modern Christian would do that if we just rested in Jesus, remembered dwelt, meditated on what the Bible says, and repented and turned from our sins? I don't know. Just a question. Maybe we can have further discussion about it some other time. But for now, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show.